0: And he goes, it's all yours. I said, what? He said, the team. I said, what are you talking about, Coach? He said, I'm, I'm a, I bought a bar and a pontoon boat. I'm out of here. They're going to make you the head coach. <laughs> I'm 24 years old. I'm like, uh, okay. And so they made me the head coach, and I was the youngest college head coach in America at 24, and then the following year at 25 I was the youngest fired head coach. Uh,
1: three, uh,
0: you watched them. You cheered for them.
1: Maybe you booed them, you listened to them, you were impressed by them. Today, they share their favorite memories with you. It's the Give Me a Sense podcast. Here's your host, Mike Yav. Well, still in the thick of things with regard to the Olympics, hope you enjoyed the last two shows with Samantha Pescik, a a medalist, obviously, in the Olympics and gymnastics, not to mention Jeremy Bloom, who had a a great career not only NFL-wise and and playing college football, but also as a phenomenal skier the last few weeks. Always appreciate the feedback, at Mike underscore Yam on Twitter. Continue to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. But when I started this podcast, I I figured I would get some Pac-12 folks on the show. And when it comes to, to football, and I'm not even referring to just what's happening in the conference, but, but just football in general, in my career, I don't know if there is a better storyteller when it comes to being a football coach than Rich Rodriguez, who's the head man at Arizona and coach is kind enough to give us some time here. Rich Rod, it is always great to talk to you. Well, my pleasure, Mike. How's your summer been? The the summer is good. We got to spend some time a couple weeks back in in Los Angeles for Pac-12 Media Day. And and as always, you were entertaining on the set with us. And in my head, I said, I got to get Coach Churchrod on at some point during the season. But, you know, it's crazy because I had Coach Leach on. a couple weeks ago and I had asked him what he would be doing if he wasn't coaching and I don't know if you're aware of this but he does have his his law degree which is still mind-boggling to me but he said he probably would have gone that route and I'm curious from your perspective because you're as charismatic as as any coach that I've been around you're a great storyteller so like if you weren't coaching what would you actually be doing?
0: Well, first off, I thought Mike May said he was waiting for Trump to call him for a VP candidate. <laughs> you know, but it didn't happen. So, uh, but he were, could talk Were you in the lobby? A,
1: were he, you in the lobby in the hotel the night before media day with Coach?
0: Yeah, yeah. Did you, I, miss- it, it, you know, There's a secret. With, I said, Mike, why hasn't Trump named his guy? Are you it, and you just holding out on us, or, or what? So we had a we had a long political talk after that, but what would I be doing? Gosh, I, don't, I, I think I'd be involved in athletics in some respects, because I just like, you know, I'm interested in a lot of topics, but uh, I just, whether it's, a, if, if it wasn't a football coach, it'd probably be a basketball coach. If it wasn't a basketball coach, it'd probably be baseball or something, And because uh, I just like being around the competitive part of it. Uh, I did a stint on TV. Uh, you would believe it or not, about uh, five years ago before I came to Arizona, and that was entertaining. But you know, the thing I found out about, which is uh, what uh, I probably figured out, most folks know. Like when you're, uh, you're when you're doing TV or radio, and you're you're just commenting on the games, you're not coaching the games. You could be a hundred percent wrong in every one of your picks, and nobody remembers or cares. So, I'm like, hey, this ain't a bad deal. There's no pressure at all on Saturday. Nobody remembers, you know, how, how bad you were in, in picking the games. But as a coach, it's a little different. Did you Did you have fun doing TV? I, I enjoyed it, but yeah, it was, uh, what I wasn't used to getting, putting makeup on. And I said, do I really need makeup? And they said, like, coach, if, this is high definition. You definitely need makeup. So that was, <laughs> that was a little different, but, uh, and of course, the the rest of the folks on the set had a little more experience doing it, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun, but it was easy for me because I wasn't going to be too pretentious. I was just doing like you know, ask me a question and and uh, we'll talk about it. And I don't have a problem usually talking about football, so it was. It, I enjoyed it, but it's a lot of work, and it gave me a great. Actually, I'm, I'm gonna give you a little props here. It gave me a little yeah. even more respect for the media folks because of the work they put in in preparation for shows and broadcasts and things like that. Well, have you changed your approach cuz i only know
1: you since you've been at arizona so i i know you as a guy that understands what we do you you give us a ton of access you're you obviously you know you're great on camera because you you've had the reps at least but ha- had, has your approach with dealing with the media changed since you were on the dark side so to speak for a little yeah. bit
0: <laughs> no i don't think so i mean others may may say it differently like you know when i was at west virginia i was comfortable uh even when i went to michigan i think it probably caught them off guard a little bit because I was a little bit, I wasn't uh, maybe what they thought uh, a Michigan coach should be now. Now Jim Harbaugh does says what he wants, and and he's entertaining, and he's doing a great job. But uh, I think when I was there, because I was like, who is this, you know, hillbilly from West Virginia, and said the word ain't you know, a couple of times in a in a press conference. But uh, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time there. I enjoyed, you know, when I was speaking to the media at all all my stops. And I probably got started so young, you know, was the when I was 24 and I was a head coach, so I had to learn quickly. And back then, I I didn't know what I was doing. I was faking it pretty good, but but I could talk a good game, and uh, I I learned quickly, you know how to handle that role as a head coach. Is ain't was that a big deal? Yeah, it was. Uh, I did, unbeknownst to me because that's one of the first words you learned in West Virginia, like in the third grade, because it's so descriptive. <laughs> it's like ain't. I'm not. I ain't doing that. But I guess it's not proper English. And, uh, but I was a good student. I made A's in all my English classes, but, uh, but yeah, I didn't know ain't was a bad word. Uh, there's, there's other, uh, there's other four letter words that are probably worse than that for sure. But, uh, yeah, I got, I got, now I want to say I got in trouble, but I got kind of called out on that and I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll have to check that because maybe I do say it a lot. Can I ask you about words
1: that coaches use because it is, there's one specific word that I hear a lot from every single coach that I have ever dealt with and it has become part of my my vernacular as well, which is the word deal. Because deal can be used in any situation, and everyone knows what you're talking about. Why have you noticed that? Do you drop deal a whole lot? Do you use that? Like in what? Like what's
0: the deal? Or like, here's the what's deal? what's the deal? Or
1: hey, like the deal that we have coming up later today. Like if I said to you, hey, the deal that we—if I called you this morning, oh, our deal later—you'd know. It's like oh, I'm coming on the podcast. Yeah, I
0: would know. It's kind of like a thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I use it as much because you know maybe it, it confuses me. But yeah, I think coaches use a lot of coach vernacular though that's it you know and i'm sure you hear it a lot that coaches will get your standard coach speak and i've I've been guilty of that too but sometimes you i understand where people get frustrated with with saying that, like tell us something you know yeah. you know i don't want the standard coach speak oh we're going to work hard we're going to do i mean sometimes uh you know i think that's you, you say that so you don't have to say anything else or hurt anybody's feelings but i've gotten to the point now in my career is like you know standard coach speak is it's not what people are interested in hearing. It's not what, you know, really telling the truth. So I I probably don't do it as much, but I see it all the time where like opening, you know, like the opening press conferences at media days, I mean, they're almost all sound the same. You know, oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. it's like everybody, like so I said, Oh, are you happy to be here? I, Hell no. Are you kidding me? I mean, not that I don't like talking to the media and talking about our team, but I'd rather be, uh, at the beach or on a lake or on a golf course or hanging around with coaches watching film other than this stuff. Yeah,
1: no, I, I can understand. You're not the only coach that, that probably feels that way. I want to circle back, though, Rich. You'd made reference to your first coaching job, faking it until you essentially made it, and you have uh-huh. made it. How do you get that first gig?
0: Well, I was I was unique. I was right out of college in West Virginia. I did one year as a student assistant there while I finished my degree, and then I went to Salem. As a defensive coordinator, special teams coordinator, equipment manager, travel coordinator, recruiting coordinator, I had a lot of titles. We had an old head coach who just kind of hired a bunch of young guys and let us do our deal. And and then uh, after a year and a half there, the I'm 20, I'm 24 years old, and he comes up to me in May, and this is you know after spring practice, and this is the NAI. A school at the time, small college. And he goes, it's all yours. I said, what? He said, the team. I said, what are you talking about, coach? He said, I'm, I'm a, I bought a bar and a pontoon boat. I'm out of here. They're going to make you the head coach. <laughs> I'm 24 years old. I'm like, uh, okay. And so they made me the head coach, and I was the youngest college head coach in America at 24, and then the following year at 25, I was the youngest fired head coach. When the, school, <laughs> when the school, school, it was a private school, the school got bought out by a university from Japan, and they dropped off Kinds of sports and and uh, I was out, so I learned quickly about about the profession. But it was a it was a learning experience for sure.
1: You know, Coach, I've had a lot of broadcasters on. Tony Reale, just had Deuces Rogers on a couple of weeks ago. Ashley Adamson, who I know you know really well, who's part of our, our Pac-12 Network family. And I always ask the same question to them when you about their path and their journey. If, if they were essentially, you know, scared or overwhelmed with those jobs. Because sometimes you, you don't know if you're truly ready for it. You're telling them you're 24, you're faking it. How scared, overwhelmed are you uh, when you get hired and realize, geez, I, I have the reins here?
0: Well, it was it, for me. It, I guess you're so busy, and I was doing so much with the with the team anyway, from you know off-field stuff. That that uh, it was. And I was surprised that it wasn't as overwhelming as I thought. And so that even though I just had that one year as a head coach. I learned so much because you're, you make when you become an assistant. When you're an assistant, you have suggestions. When you're a head coach, you make the decisions, and there's a whole big different animal. But I was making a lot of decisions as an assistant because the head coach had let me. So when I became a head coach, it became a little bit easier for me. So then after a year after that, I was a, went to West Virginia as a volunteer coach, and then the following year, a 26. I got the head job at Glenville State, where I stayed for seven years, and I was so much more prepared for that, just having that one year experience that uh i was pretty i was pretty confident even though I found out years later you know you figure out i don't didn't really know what I thought I knew, but I still knew enough to to help me grow in the profession and each year it's like somebody' saying well, I've that 20 years of experience. Well, if you've done the same thing 20 years and, and haven't gotten better or learned anymore, then you just have one-year experience repeated 20 times. I tell my coaches and myself, too, that, you know, have years of experience only matters if you've gotten better or tried to learn more every year. And I think that's what's helped me in my profession. I, I would like to think, even though it doesn't always show up in the record or the results, that, you know, I'm a better head coach or at least I know more certainly in the prof- about the profession, what I need to do than I did you know, 5, 10, 20 years ago.
1: Coach, you know, I think a lot of people follow Arizona football on on Twitter and Facebook, and you guys social media-wise do a great job with regard to sort of sending out the message for this program and, and what you guys actually intend on doing year in and year out. And when it comes to recruiting, I know that's sort of an advantage because you guys are, are at the forefront of, of that aspect of it. I, I've noticed that some of the videos, your wife Rita, is a part of it, and I think it's important for you know programs to understand that there is a family type atmosphere. You're 24 when you get that first head coaching job. Were you married at that point?
0: Well, no? this that, is that was the the interest. Well, part of the interesting part of the story that when that happened, uh, and I got that call uh, in the middle of June in 1989. I just bought a house, my first house for $30,000. I just bought my first car, a Red Ford Pro. That was a fancy car back then for oh, like yeah, yeah. $10,000. And I was getting married in two weeks. And then this call comes that, you know, I thought it was a prank call because I got a call from an associate press writer. I got a call from a competitor coach. And then the AD walks in, eight. 15 a.m. saying there's going to be an announcement with news that'll be detrimental to your program. He turned and walked out. So it was pretty detrimental when they say that, you know, school's been bought out and they're dropping all these programs. You got two weeks to get out. No contracts are going to get renewed. And I'm like, uh, I'm getting married in two weeks. So I call up, uh, call up Rita, uh, my fiance at the time. And I said, I got good news and bad news. And she said, Well, what's the bad news? I said, I ain't. Here she goes, ain't. I ain't got a job. And she goes, What's the good news? I said, I'll still marry you. So, you know, we got married, but it was, the reception was watered down a little bit and I had to send a note out to everybody BYOB and whatever's left over I was gonna keep. So that was uh <laughs> and the honeymoon was a one day trip to the roller coasters at Cedar Point, Ohio. So that was oh, uh, a you know, kind of a short, short honeymoon. But you know, I learned in the profession. Uh if you're gonna get it, you might as well get it early and learn from it and hope you get another shot. And so when I got another shot two years later at Glenville State I'm like, I mean, how did I get this? Well, then I found out, well, they, they had not won a game the year before. And they were outscored 360 to 20. So I think there was wow. only three, three of us that applied for the job, and the other two had never coached before. So I, I kind of got it by default. But what, it was a good what? proving ground. But what
1: what is it about you taking over programs and seeing this turnaround? I mean, we, you've, you've orchestrated one at Arizona with the Wildcats. We've seen it, obviously, at West Virginia and the success that you've had uh, or had with that program. What is it about taking over a program and, and getting your hands on it where you can sort of morph it and mold it into what you want?
0: Well, Mike, every every institution is different, you know, from – from where I went to, to Salem to Glenville and then as an assistant at Tulane Clemson and Western Michigan and Arizona, you know, you find out there's there's unique traits and positives and negatives to every place. What you got to do when you get in there, normally as a head coach, you're going into a situation that's not ideal. You know, it's either a coach had, had won and moved on, that's okay, or if you take over for a coach retired, maybe the program had had been really good at one point but not as good at the end, and, or you take over a program like I did at Glenville where it was just about to uh to bottom out and, and it's been really bad. And so you gotta find out what your what your issues are first, but you have a plan and then you wanna try to stick to that plan and sometimes it takes longer than than others, uh other places to, to get going. But if you surround yourself with the right people and I'm talking about staffing and uh player wise and then you and then the school gives you the support that you need, not maybe more than anybody else, but just enough that you need that you can be competitive. And then you work and stay committed to that plan, you'll have a chance. What's happened nowadays, and you know this and following the profession, is there's less patience now. If you don't get it done in two, three years, a lot of times you're out. And that's unfortunate, but as a coach, you better realize times have changed too. You know, we're we're getting paid a whole lot more than we've ever gotten paid. And so if you're getting paid that much more, they want quicker results. And sometimes if there was a little bit more patience and somebody can see inside the program, they can see, hey, this is going to get turned around and going to be, you know, going to be great. I just got to give them a little bit more time.
1: Coach, how gratifying is it for you now being at a point in your profession where you are one of the upper echelon coaches in the country? There were some, some rumors about you, of, uh, about potentially leaving Arizona a while back, and obviously you're, you're now committed to this program. You're not going anywhere. How important is is that idea of fit when you take a job? Because now you can be selective. You know, maybe like you said, hey, you know, you take over a program, you know, one of those uh, when you're at Sam, what was it, 300 points to, to 20, whatever they were at scored the previous year? I mean, that was you're looking for a job now all of a sudden people are are seeking out you
0: yeah and the fit i've gotten and that's a fair question a lot of people ask is is it the right fit and i thought gosh if you're if you've got a plan and and uh and uh, you'll do a good job you fit in anywhere but the truth is there are some places that that the mutual fit is better than others and I think you sometimes, as a coach and in an institution, you try to vet that out before you even talk to the guy. But I, I don't. I think mostly, if if you're a good ball coach and and you got the right people around you, and you got a good enough kind of personality that you can get along with people, you can fit in anywhere. I like the, the fact, that like here at Arizona, we can be ourselves, as particularly as a staff and as a program, and I think our players see that and recruits are seeing that when they're coming out. They're like. You know our guys. We you know we work hard. Uh, we can be, dis- you know, we can disagree with certain things inside the office, but not be disagreeable. Uh, there's great chemistry on the staff. Guys work hard for each other. They believe in each other, and we have a lot of fun. We we love to laugh. We love to tell stories. We like to tease each other, and I think the players see that, and it helps build the type of program I think you want to have long term. Yet we're still going to work hard, and we we take great pride in in, in doing that as well. So. You know, I guess I've been doing this long enough that, and when you get in the right place, sometimes after a couple of weeks, you just like that this is going to be pretty good. And I felt that instantly in Arizona.
1: Rich, you mentioned recruiting. What's it like to get recruited by you and your staff? Like, what do you guys do differently than a lot of other programs?
0: Well, I think a lot of people do the same thing. I think one of the reasons and this was difficult, Mike, and we've talked about it. I got a whole new defensive staff and one of my thought processes is when I hired the guys is that they all need to be able to recruit and you gotta have the kind of personality that they enjoy recruiting, that they enjoy getting to know guys and having relationships with players. And I think that's the key. You know, our staff really enjoys recruiting and it's paying off now i mean i'm seeing we're seeing great results in recruiting and i think guys come here they sense it they get comfortable easy and i tell the guys i'm gonna make you uncomfortable in practice and you'll be uncomfortable in workouts but that'll be the only time everything else is going to be you're going to you enjoy the experience you're going to love being around the coaches the players and and uh and even in practice we have fun too so i think the getting recruited by us, our guys feel like they can be themselves yet still adhere to, you know, the the rules and regulations that we have, and and it's all for their benefit. Coach,
1: before I let you get going here, I introduced you as as the best storyteller in the conference. And you're talking oh. about recruiting. What you guys do? Philosophy. What's the what's your go-to recruiting story? If I said to you, "Hey, like you know that entertaining oh, moment that you, you know, you're you're making that in-home visit or, or kids on campus with his folks, whatever the case may be," like what <laughs> well, stands I've got,
0: out? Well, I've got 30 years of them. Some of them I probably can't repeat, but I got I'll tell you what, because we was, was just talking about the other day, I was in West Virginia. And it's a small state, and, and not ha- they don't have a lot of Division One players, maybe one every two years or so. So this one particular year, um, and we were pretty well established, and we did. We had a local, go right, a local guy right there in Morgantown that we had offered. And he had been over to the campus, you know, to the office a bunch of times and all this stuff. Well, it finally came time for official visits for me to be able to go to his house and pay him a home visit. So the coach that was in charge of them, that had all the local recruits, was in charge of them. You know, I usually go with assistant coaches, and they take me there, and we go to the house and have a nice home visit. So anyway, it's time to go visit him at his home, have a home visit. And so I knock on the door, and I hadn't met the the family yet, but – and knock on the door, come inside, and they said, hey. And she said, hey, coach, how you doing? And this the coach that was with me, and we small talk probably for 10 minutes They talk about the season and the program and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, so I had a great conversation. And then I said, "Kids, now I'll just say his name is Johnny. I said, well, you know, how's Johnny doing? She goes, uh, I don't know. He lives next door. Why you ask? <laughs> <So> I'm thinking, <laughs> and I you should have seen the assistant coach's face when she said that. I'm like, uh, he's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I said for all of that we, uh, she was, she, and then she said, I was wondering why the head coach came over to see me i thought maybe you were giving t- tickets or something <laughs> I'm like, uh no it wasn't it's but it's nice to visit with you but we got to go next door to see johnny how,
1: how, how so, did the visit the actual visit go and, and the actual
0: visit was great but it was just embarrassing because here is a local recruiter we don't know where he lives and hadn't seen the he hadn't uh hadn't met the mom yet so that was that was entertaining of course for the next 10 years he never heard the end of it the assistant coach but um, we got him. We signed him anyway, so it's fun.
1: Do, do you walk into the house? Do you use that as an icebreaker when you actually go to Johnny's house? Hey, we're next door with you know with Susie next door, and oh, and, we
0: told uh, yeah exactly, and, and they they got a big kick out. Of course, they're neighbors, and so they I think they still laugh about it to this day.
1: Oh, and that is absolutely hysterical. Yeah. Coach, really appreciate you stopping by with us. I know you are you are busy right now, gearing up for the season. Obviously, uh, you know it's it's week one, which is just kind of creeping up on us at this point. So, really do appreciate you. I know uh, you got to go back to, to watching film and and uh, you know I- embracing the uh, the culture that you guys have established there, making guys uh, being comfortable or what is it? It's the phrase that you use. Well, comfortable we, being yeah, we like to right? be
0: comfortable being uncomfortable in practice anyway. Yes.
1: Yes. Well, I I, I will see you back down uh, in Tucson very soon. So, Coach, really appreciate you stopping by with us. Okay, great talk with you, Mike. Appreciate it. Well, fantastic having rich rodriguez with us awesome that he was able to share some stories some insight on his career i love when i ask coaches about their favorite recruiting story because uh, they're usually entertaining like rich rodriguez's story was but they always seem to land the recruit which is always the important part of the story at least for their football programs all right a couple house cleaning things for you i can't thank everyone enough for continuing to to rate us subscribe to the show on itunes it's also available on stitcher Block talk radio the feedback at mike yam on twitter the facebook page is mike yam next week on the show so right now for the pac-12 network i am on the road when you are listening to this we are in the thick of things for our training camp tour if i'm not mistaken it's 12 different schools over the course of 15 days so the schedule's a little it's arduous but it is an absolute blast and yogi roth who's got a great podcast life without limits he's going to be on next week's show. So we're going to tape the show. We're going to bring it to you next week. He's got some great stories, some great insight. And for as much, I think, as, as Pac-12 fans sort of know Yogi and, uh, you know, for being an analyst with us at the Pac-12 Network and his time at USC working under uh, under Pete Carroll, he uh, he is... is- one of the best storytellers that I have ever met in my entire life. He's got so many different uh, ambitions, goals that he wants to set. He's one of the most positive people that I have ever met in my entire life. And he has got some crazy stories that are not even football related, just some travel stories in other countries where you're not even supposed to be in uh, if you're a U.S. citizen. And it's probably not all that safe. So we'll get to some of those stories next week on the show. Once again, continue to subscribe, to rate and review. And more importantly, tell your friends about the show. The Give Me a Sense podcast. Thank you once again for listening.